This morning in Maine's Bible reading comes from Revelation chapter 1, and you can find it at page 1028, Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash round his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, <coughs> refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches.
Thank you very much, Ricky. Do keep that uh, passage open. We'll be looking at that together. Uh, as we start, there's an outline of where we're going in the service sheet, so do make use of that as you see fit. And there will be the opportunity at the end if you have any questions or comments. Uh, before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the revealer of mysteries. And we pray, please, as we consider this inaugural vision given to John, that the same spirit that gave this vision and its interpretation to John would help us to understand it, and that we would be your people who would benefit from this revelation to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Revelation has a reputation for being a difficult book to understand. It's an unfortunate reputation, because before we have even picked it up to read it, it can undermine our confidence to understand it for ourselves. Now this reputation, I think, comes at least in part because the style of uh, the book, the style that the book's written in, is unfamiliar to us. The book contains a series of visions given to John. And the descriptions and the language of the visions it contains can seem strange to our ears and can leave us wondering, what does it all mean? But as we begin our study um, of the book this morning, I want to suggest that it's not as unfamiliar as we might first think. The first vision, so the inaugural vision given to John, actually follows a fairly typical pattern of visions in the Old Testament. And it's a pattern that consists of three parts. There is the vision itself. That's followed by the seer's response or the prophet's response. And then an interpretation of the vision is provided. Now you can see quite clearly those three parts in Revelation 1. So in verses 12 to 16, there's the vision itself. That's followed by John's response in the beginning of verse 17. And then the rest of verse 17 through to verse 20 is an interpretation of the vision that's provided. Now, this pattern is precisely what we saw in the earlier reading of Daniel chapter 7. So, let me again show you the three parts. First, Daniel was given the vision of four beasts, and then one like a son of man comes to the Ancient of Days to receive glory in the kingdom. That's then followed by Daniel's response as he is anxious and alarmed by the vision. And then the interpretation is given. Daniel is told that the four beasts are the four kings who will come and go, and that they will be replaced by the kingdom of God that the saints will possess forever and ever. So you've got vision, response, 
interpretation. Now, in many ways, it's an obvious observation, but it's an observation that's often overlooked and it's extremely helpful in determining the meaning of a vision. For John was not only given the vision, he's also provided with an interpretation that explains how the meaning of the vision is to be understood. So we're just going to spend the rest of our time now, this morning, looking at the interpretation provided in verses 17 to 20, that we would understand the meaning of this inaugural vision. And we'll do it in three steps. So for the first step, let's have a look again at verse 17b and verse 18. Let me read them. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. It's here that the one in the vision, the one like a son of man, is identified as the one who died and is now alive. And already you can see how this is a development from the vision that Daniel was given. So Daniel was given a vision of four kingdoms that would come and go. Then the kingdom of God would be established as the Son of Man would come to the Ancient of Days to receive dominion and glory in the kingdom. But in the vision that John gets, there's no mention of the four human kingdoms. No mention of the four human kingdoms because they have already come and gone. There's no mention of the coming of the Son of Man to the ancient of days to receive dominion and glory in the kingdom from him, because that's already happened. The vision that John is given is of the exalted Jesus, who is already in possession of the keys of death in Hades. Dominion and authority over this realm has already been given to him. The kingdom of God has already come. Jesus is already enthroned. It's significant, I think, what the vision that John is given is not of. John is not given a vision of Jesus dying on the cross. John is not given a vision of Jesus emerging from the tomb. The vision that John is given is of the ascended Christ, the victorious Christ, the reigning Christ. That is what the vision is of who it is and who he is now. The second part of the interpretation of the vision is given in verse 19. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. The vision is part of John's commission, for the one in the vision 
commissions John. And John's to be given this series of visions. He's to write them down. Now, to be fair, the commission was first given back in verse 11. But now, having seen the vision, and therefore the one speaking to him, he's reissued with the commission to write down what he sees in a book and send it to the churches. This inaugural vision of the exalted Christ commissions John to write to the churches. Now this verse is usually understood as being paradigmatic for the structure and content of the whole book. And among the various interpretations of this particular verse, there are two worth mentioning at the outset. So the first is, and one possibility is, that John will, what John will write down is the things that have already happened, followed by the things that are happening now, and then followed by the things that are still to happen in the future. That is to say that what John will write down is a chronology of what's going on, so that each subsequent vision describes what happens in time after the previous one. In other words, it would be telling us that as we read through the book of Revelation, we're reading through time, through history. But the verse doesn't actually say that. When it says, take place after this, it may be referring later not in history, but later in the sequence of visions. That is, after this is not what the visions is not about what the visions themselves refer to, but rather it refers to the visions themselves and those later in the sequence. In which case, John is going to be given a series of visions and he's to write down what he has already seen, what he sees now, and what he's going to see, because he's going to be given this sequence of visions. He's to write down the totality of the visions which he witnesses. But at this point, he's not told how the different visions relate to one another and that they're not necessarily going to be in chronological order. Now, I labour this point because Revelation is one of these books that's easy to come to and impose a framework on it at the outset, which is not warranted. And the approach that we want is not to impose a framework on the book, but allow the book to provide the framework, to speak. And as we read through the book each week, we can explore how the different visions relate to one another. It's an inductive approach to reading the Bible. It's enjoy the ride. Well, the third part of the interpretation is given in verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands 
are the seven churches. It's here that we're told what some of the symbolism in the vision means. We're told that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches and that the seven stars represent the seven angels or the seven churches. At this point, it's interesting to look back at verse 13 and observe that, verse 13, and in the midst of the lampstands is one like a son of man. The exalted Jesus is in the midst of the seven churches. That is to say, this vision is concerned with how the exalted Christ relates to his church. And again, it's interesting to observe what the vision is not of. The picture here at this point isn't of Jesus ruling the nations, of him ruling the whole world, of him being against his enemies. Rather, the focus is on him reigning over the church. If we were to pause for a moment and explore the question, how should we understand Jesus' physical absence from us? What might we conclude? His physical absence might suggest his indifference or desertion or impotence towards this present world or even that his incarnation is now over. Jesus would then be less central to the church at present. Yet this vision affirms that Jesus is now the ascended reigning Jesus. Rather than think that his absence is weakness or desertion, tempting us to see the life of the church as something uh, to do on our own, whose outcome ultimately, ultimately depends on us. This vision is of an ascended, victorious Christ who reigns over his church. As well as the vision and its interpretation, we haven't talked yet about the middle part. That's the seer's response. And it's given to us there at the beginning of verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. John's response is to fall on his face in fear. Daniel made a similar response when he saw the vision given to him in Daniel 7. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. It's an interesting perspective for those intent on seeking more visions, because certainly these visions were in the first instance quite traumatic for Daniel and John to receive. 
For whilst John falls to his face in fear, the one in the vision puts his hand on him and says, do not fear. In the subsequent visions that we'll look at together, John is going to be shown the tribulations that the church must live through. It's what John is already experiencing in verse 9. But before he sees those visions, he's given this inaugural vision to ground his confidence in this victorious Christ. That is to say, as John will be given the heavenly perspective on what must happen in these last days and the trials that the church will go through, he does so already grounded that Jesus Christ is already victorious. And therefore, the victory of his people is already in principle theirs. It's a nice start, I think, to the book of Revelation, for there is a double confidence to be had here. With this first vision, we're provided with an interpretation so we can be confident of its meaning. And the vision itself grounds our confidence in Christ, the Christ who is already reigning. Let me pray and then uh, free to ask any questions or make any comments. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privileged position that we stand in, superior to that of Daniel, as the Son of Man has already received power, dominion in the kingdom from the Ancient of Days. And we thank you that your Christ is already reigning and victorious. And we thank you how that prepares us for what we will witness in the coming weeks as we learn of what must take place in these last days. I pray that we would do so grounded with the confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is already reigning over us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, if you would like to ask anything or make a comment, now is your moment. There's a huge amount to cover in the book of Revelation, so I went for one thing, but if there's something else in the chapter that has caught your attention, by all means, ask about that. Aki.
Yes, thanks, Maggie, just for the recording. So question about chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. And a question about, yeah, who's in view here, in particular, who are those who pierced him? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, let me just take a moment. So, I think the, this is referring to the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's already come to the Ancient of Days, and the book of Revelation is going to explore how, although he is already enthroned, his rule remains contested in these last days. And so verse 7 anticipates really the end of the book of Revelation, where in his coming again, um, there will be that final um, judgment. And I take it that the, the wailing is related to the fact that, not that people are repentant, but just that the judgment is so awful and... Uh, they now face the consequences of having rejected him. I mean, it's interesting about those who pierced him. And I, I mean, it's interesting because the final judgment, it does, it does involve everyone. So the dead will be raised, including those who uh, crucified the Lord Jesus. Um, I suppose that's particularly pertinent because it, it, the point in which we see the um, see most clearly the opposition of fallen humanity to Christ is when they murder their creator is in the piercing of the sun so maybe it's fitting to have that there that actually that that hostility to God will be vindicated and the Christ Christ will be finally vindicated I mean it's a funny one because and it goes back to, just going back to the vision of the Son of Man that we're given. The vision isn't, although we know that actually this reigning Christ will return and destroy his enemies, that isn't the focus of the vision. And at the present is, is his rule over his church. And that seems to be the concern of the vision. So whilst it's reassuring that ultimately those who contest God and his Christ and his people will ultimately um, be destroyed. Actually, the vision then turns to the relation that the reigning Christ has with his church, which is then what we're going to look at next week in chapters 2 and 3 as we see well, what that reigning Christ says to his church. Is that, is that okay? Yeah. Oh, just on that, it's also interesting. Um, that the, well, I, I just think um, it's partly because of Carson's comment, but I think verse end of verse five is just a lovely comment to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So that same event 
where those hostile to God pierced the Son is the same act where the saints know that they're loved um, because we've been freed from our sins by his blood. That act of piercing, we want to know Christ's love for us. That's where we keep going back to. Maybe else. Ricky. Yes, uh, so for the recording, verse 10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Um, how do we understand what it means to be in the Spirit? Is that a kind of a, a trance, that sort of thing? So I think if, we, um, if we're allowed to flick on, I think chapter 4, verse 2 helps us a bit. I say that, does it? Let me read from verse 1 and see if it helps. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So this is like a, a subsequent vision. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. So I guess you've got a similar idea. And I think it's being in the Spirit is the language of the seer receiving the prophet. Um, so I think it's tied up with interestingly what was the language that was given in Daniel 7 what's that how's he described oh interesting Daniel 7 just says Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed and he wrote down the dream um, but I think it's, it's related to we're to understand that he is receiving this vision and that that's, it's, it's tied up with being in the spirit. Um, I mean, the only other thing would be to go back to verse 1 and 2, when you understand, some of us have looked at this, a bit about how the revelation works. So, basically it says in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the thing that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who then bore witness to the word of God. And so here you've got the God gives the revelation to Jesus Christ, who then gives it to, he sends his angel, who then gives it to John, and he writes it down for the benefit of the church. So there you understand a little bit more about the, the sequence of how that revelation is passed down. I think there, and it may be the same comment, uh, Ricky, with the in the spirit, I think it's quite helpful because it does mean that this vision is ultimately from God and therefore we're to read it with unity with the rest of his revelation. So I guess one of the peculiar things about the book of Revelation is it can kind of stand as a kind of a, a slightly out there book, um, partly for the reason I mentioned earlier in terms of its uh, perceived difficulty in understanding the, the vision material. But actually, it's, it comes from the one mind of God, and therefore, 
that helps us because we're not coming to this vision with empty heads, but we're coming with everything that we already know. And we want to read this and integrate it into the full picture that we have. So, all right. Time for more. Josh. Oh, Par oh, yeah. So, yes, paradigmatic. Yes, I never know whether to use words. Although we're going to get used to a lot of big words in Ovi's book. So, paradigmatic means um, um, uh, sort of big picture, how the whole thing is working. Um, so, I think we've talked before about like when you become a Christian, you make a paradigm shift in terms of the whole way of understanding the world changes. So it's that kind of it's that kind of changing of paradigm. So your whole way of seeing something. And my comment there was um, in Revelation one, you know, where in the interpretation where it says in verse nineteen, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. That scene is one of those sort of key verses that explains how the whole book's working. You know, it's kind of it's, it, it provides the kind of the content for the whole book because John's been told about what he's going to be given, and and therefore if it's taken as like paradigmatic or as the paradigm, it's been taken as this is the the lens which you're going to read the rest of the book. Now, you might, you might have read that and just thought, okay, that's fine, just means you just got to write down the visions. But I mentioned it only because people make a, a deal of it. And, uh, yeah, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. And so the, the point is, well, this goes back to, so one of the interpretations of Revelation is that it's basically it's a chronology of history, and therefore the question is, where are we in Revelation? You know, we in Revelation 10, Revelation 11, Revelation 12, that sort of thing. Whereas, actually, it doesn't say that. And I, I think all this is saying is that he needs to write down the secrets of visions, as in all of them. Don't just write down some. Don't impoverish the saints. All these visions are given to him for the church. And it's yet to be disclosed how the different visions relate to one another. I mean, some of us who are more familiar with Revelation will be thinking, oh, I think I'm like... I think I might have some idea as how it works. But this this point, it's not saying what the content of the visions are. It's just that there's going to be a sequence. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a funny word. Okay, thanks. Okay, we'll leave it there. We're going to um, uh, sing again. Come behold. The mystery that's being revealed. <laughs>